Good morning, Harvest Bible Chapel. My name is uh, Chris Persons. I'm the pastor of discipleship here and have the opportunity to bring the word this morning. Uh, we have a group of guys out at the uh, Act Like Men Palooza traveling, and that's where uh, Pastor Steve, our senior pastor, is at uh, this morning. So I have the privilege of filling in. Today we're talking about big rocks. We're starting a new series called Big Rocks, investing in the things that truly matter in your life. So let me start off with a little illustration here. Brought... Uh, a jar with me today, and let's say, um, since we're talking about big rocks, how about I fill this jar with some uh, rather bigger rocks at least, and see how many I can get in there until it's actually full here. Uh, let's see how many, have some more. And maybe, I can slip this one in there maybe somehow. There we go. I think this one's going to be a problem, so I'm going to switch that one. I got some extras. There we go. That's better. All right. Quite a few big rocks there. I'm not sure if this one's going to actually fit in. That one's a little too big. So anyway, pretty full there, right, wouldn't you say, with some big rocks um, that we're trying to carry, and that's uh, what we got there. But we would say that's pretty full, at least with big rocks, but could we fit more in there? Well, we could fit some, maybe some of this in there. Maybe more like gravel size or maybe slightly bigger than gravel. They, they might fit in there too if we throw some of these in here. So it's not quite full yet until we fill up some of this a little bit more. Getting there, shake it a little bit. Good thing I cut my nails this week. All right. It's starting to look a little bit more full, isn't it? When you say that's pretty full? All right. Well, I don't think it's quite full enough yet. I think we can actually fit some more stuff in there. So I brought some sand. Fill it up with some of that. It's always fun to play with sand in church. Get a little messy here this morning, shake it down. Probably got a lot in there, huh? Starting to get nice and full. Now we're starting to look a little bit more full, huh? We'll call that good for now, just for time's sake. Finally, we're full, don't you think? I think we can maybe fit a little bit more in there. So I brought some coffee here. Now we can really fill it up all the way. Just soaks it right in. Now we can fit more sand in. All right. Now we're getting some gooey goodness there going on. So what was the purpose of this? Well, if you were thinking this, uh, think of it this way, this jar represents or symbolizes your life, all right? The big rocks, all right, these, these ones here, uh, represent the things that are truly important to you, all right? Such as maybe family, um, your relationship with God. If everything else was gone, um, your life would still have meaning and purpose because you have the big rocks that really matter. Let's pretend like the gravel then um, 
that I put in represents other things that matter in life, but not as significantly like work, school, a car, a home. Those things may change over time though, right? Then the sand is just the little things in life, material possessions, don't matter that much at all. What would have happened if I would have put the sand in first, if I did the other order? What if I put the sand in first? Yeah, you wouldn't be able to stick it in a big rock. If you fill it up with sand first, there won't be any way to add the big rocks, the things that really matter in your life, into the jar, right? When we spend all our time on the small things, like the gravel and the sand, you'll never have time for the things that really, truly matter in life. So we need to pay attention to the big rocks, the things that really matter, like our family, like our relationship with Jesus Christ, and make sure those come first and prioritize accordingly. That's where we're going to find our true satisfaction in. The rest is just sand and gravel and coffee. And uh, I didn't tell you what the coffee represented, sorry. Uh, The coffee represents no matter how full your life looks or feel, there's always room for coffee, right? So (laughs) get an amen on that. (laughs) The big rock that we're going after, the sermon's called Big Rock, so we're going to go after it hard, calling some big rocks out and what we want to carry with us in our life and make time for and prioritize the big rock we're going after Uh, Today is our relationship with Jesus Christ in regards to reading the Word of God, reading the Bible. We're going to talk about the benefits of reading the Bible. There was some research done, I don't know if you're familiar with Ed Stetzer, but he was at Moody, um, the college that um, kind of exists in the Chicago area to build up uh, missionaries and, and pastors and other Christian leaders. Um, he was there for a while. I think he's at High Point Church now, which is affiliated with Harvest as well. Uh, he did some research on Bible reading. And uh, one thing that he uh, came up with through his research is that 19% of church-going people, so people that regularly attend church on a Sunday, like you guys, right? 19% of them read their Bible every day, all right? Just 19%. Um, about equally, about another 19, I think it was 18% to be exact, um, don't read their Bible at all during the week, all right? So they just come on Sunday, hear the word, and then walk away, and then come back next Sunday, okay? And then the rest of the roughly 60% is somewhere in between, kind of sporadic, all right? So what we want to get is where we're increasing, where the times we're reading the word of God on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, increasing, right? We want to keep on growing in our faith. And there's a research done by the Barna uh, group, and they were doing some studying as well, and uh, they came across, they were asking about Bible engagement, which I think is carrying a lot of the idea about reading the word, what that means. And uh, they found out that 67, or 67, about two-thirds percent of people will be more likely to engage the word of God or read it on a regular basis if they understand the importance of it in their faith walk. All right? It's like, oh, so if they understand the why behind it, they're more likely to, then to engage the word of God. 58%, though, So the biggest reason why they don't engage the Word of God on a regular basis, anyone think they know why? Because of time, right? I just don't have enough time to read, right? So what are they saying? They're saying they're spending too much time on the sand and the gravel, right? I don't have enough time to do the things that really matter and really are important in my life to do. So this uh, morning I've been uh, given the task... um, to create a compelling case that we should be reading the Word of God on a daily basis, all right? 
appealing to that 67%, uh, try to get your faith kind of wild up to go after the word and after this big rock of Bible reading. No matter if I'm compelling or not, it is a 100% contingent of the Holy Spirit in our heart and life like it always is. As we bring the word of God, we want the Holy Spirit to be working in my heart, in your heart, and then we respond appropriately. So let me uh, uh, pray to that end to start off here. Dear Lord, I just pray, um, would you just give me the words to say? Um, it's not about me, it's about your word and what you want to do in each of person's life, heart and life, Lord. So as you engage this text, Lord, just spur within us um, a greater desire to know you more and to follow you more, just from reading your word on a regular daily basis, Lord. So help us to take these word, this word that you have for us to this morning and apply it to our lives so that we can know you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Psalms 119. Psalms 119. For some of you that know your Bible well, don't um, freak out. It is the longest chapter in the book or in the Bible. We're not going to do the whole chapter today. All right, just half. No, I'm just kidding. We won't even do half. There's 176 verses in chapter Psalms 119, and we're just going to do the first eight this morning. So we're going to start in verse one. Well, you need to know about the psalm. It's interesting. It's broken up into 22 different sections. Those sections are, start with a Hebrew letter at the beginning of each section, all right? So there's, and each letter has eight verses to it or eight lines to it. It's written like a poem. So eight times 22, that's where we get 176 verses from, all right? The first Hebrew letter, Aleph, I'm not sure if I'm saying that 100%, all right, right? But that's the first one, and this is the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet, basically. And what the psalmist did, which was pretty crafty, he begins every line, so all eight lines, or all eight verses, start with that same Hebrew letter. So it'd be kind of like if we took the English alphabet, and there's 26 last I checked letters in the English alphabet, and we started each line, we wrote a poem with eight lines, we would start the first one with the letter A, and we'd do eight lines with the letter A, and each one would start, all right? And then it gets to uh, Beth, and then he started, and then we would get to B, and we'd start every line like that. Now, that's pretty incredible, thinking like our alphabet, right? Wouldn't it be hard once you get to like Q and X and Z, like to come up with eight words to start each line with the same? Uh, but that's what he did, so it's written in a really uh, neat, I would say, fashion. Also, why are we talking about this passage in regards to Bible reading? Well, Psalms 119, all right, I already said it's 176 verses long. There's only four verses, only four verses in this entire psalm that don't directly talk about the Word of God, all right? So that means 172 of them have a direct reference to the Word of God in it. That's pretty amazing. That should get us kind of excited and fired up about reading the Word of God. So that's why we're in Psalms 119 this morning. Uh, the psalmist also uses 10 different synonyms for the Word of God. Uh, he's not trying to be cute or crafty, all right? He, uh, each one mean, has a little bit different meaning behind it. And uh, so as I go through it, even this morning, because we have seven of the ten just in this passage, I'll kind of explain what each one means um, about and what it's saying about the Word of God. Also, you need to know the psalmist here. We don't know exactly who wrote the psalm. We could speculate a little bit and get some good insight. Um, but the psalmist, we do know, was under some heavy persecution at the time of writing this um, from the authority over him. So he's being ridiculed for his beliefs. Seeking, uh, they were seeking to shame him so, uh, he, and make him give up on his faith, basically. But he decided to meditate and think about what the Word of God said, and he was going to use it to strengthen him when he had no strength, he was going to 
used it as a source of relief in the intensity of his life, and it was his really prized possession above all else. It was his stability, and it was his way of making sense of things when it seemed very insensible, life did. So, like I said this morning, we look at the benefits of reading the Bible. So let's start in verse 1 to get us going. It says, blessed are those whose ways are blameless. What you need to know about the word blessed in the Hebrew, if you translate it directly, it, it actually means happy. All right? Happy are those whose way is blameless or undefiled by sin. That is a happy person. Whose walk in the, in the law of the Lord. Who, wa- who walks his way in the law of the Lord. So the word law there is our first reference to the word of God. All right? The law denotes the direction or instruction that comes from the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. The law was given for God's people to understand and give clear direction. All right, so he's saying a happy person knows the law and walks within the law, and in doing so, does not sin because he's keeping the law. That's a happy person. Verse two, blessed or once again happy are those who keep his testimonies. Testimony is the second reference to the word of God that we see in our passage, right? So testimony means he's talking about the Bible. Testimonies is referring to God's will and standard of conduct. So as we live out what God has told us to do, it's almost like we become a testimony to God's word. And Psalm just says, uh, who seek him with their whole heart. The idea is that Um, as I live my life and I want to be a testimony, as I'm living out the word of God in my life, it's my whole heart that that I'm giving to the Lord and to his word. Not even a, a, a piece of it, not even a sliver of it, not even affection of it is going to go anywhere else but God alone. I feel like, uh, we see a little glimpse into an infomercial. I'm not a big infomercial guy, but if you ever watch TV, it's hard to like avoid infomercials, right? And uh, we just succumbed to our first uh, infomercial purchase, the MyPillow. I don't know, anyone have the MyPillow? We're just sick of waking up with headaches and backaches, and we'll see if it actually works or not. But um, I feel like this is the first infomercial. It's like, he's saying, happy are those if you keep your way blameless, right? And then he's like, wait, there's more. You can be doubly happy, right? If you also keep his testimonies. Well, you can be doubly happy, happily, what he's saying in verse 1, is if when your outward conduct matches your inward desires, verse 2, you can be doubly happy. Verse 3, who also do no wrong, that's this reference back to the word blameless, right? And undefiled, apart from sin, but walk in his ways. There's our third reference to the word of God, ways. Here, the, the word means a pattern of life that aligns with God. So as you're reading the word, it sets out a path for you to follow, all right? And then your life aligns with it when you choose to follow its way, all right? It's in sync with it. That means you don't veer to the left or to the right. You follow his way because you're trusting the Lord with all your heart, including his word, knowing that he's going to make your path straight, Kind of sounds like a familiar passage, right? So happy is the person who does these things. Just think if you're driving on a road and uh, you're in your car and the road is going straight, straight, all right? What would happen if you were to veer to the left or to the right when the road is going straight? Well, you can imagine I would sum that up as not happy things, all right? 
Actually, very bad things, pain, suffering would come when we choose to do that, right? Same is true of our spiritual walk. The path is straight. He's made it clear how we should walk and the way that we should go. When we choose to veer to the left or right, not happy things happen, but it brings about pain and suffering and sin in our life. But when we choose to align our way with what the Word of God says, then we can experience the blessedness, the happiness that comes in knowing the Lord. So the first benefit uh, to reading the Bible is this. When I read the Bible, I will experience a happiness rooted in holiness. I will experience a happiness rooted in holiness. Now think uh, for yourselves. I'm not sure if you're like me, but I've done a lot of things to pursue happiness, right? I've looked a lot of places. I've done a lot of things that I think is going to bring me happiness and fulfillment in my life. And a lot of times I find out striking out on those, all right? Because they're rooted in my fleshly desires and the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That's what they're rooted in. They're rooted in my sin nature. But the word here assures me if I'm reading the word and applying it to my life, that if I'm pursuing holiness, that way of blameless, that way of undefiled, that I will actually find happiness. And it's a happiness that is satisfying, that is lasting Let's keep on reading uh, the word for our next uh, reason for reading the Bible, benefit to reading the Bible, verse 4. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. The word um, command means that he's like, I just clearly spoken to you, to you, God's people. And the word precepts is our fourth um, word of God, reference to the word of God in our passage, precepts, and that means instructions. The root of this word is it expresses the idea that God is paying attention to how he wants things to be ordered. All right, So he has precepts, instructions, and this is the order that you should live your life. And by reading the word of God, you can see the order that comes with reading the word of, or in your life springing from the word of God. The, law, the word is clear and the precepts acts as a blueprint for our daily living. But what should our response be to that? Hopefully it's what the end of verse 4 says, is to be kept diligently. All right, We can't go passive about pursuing this. We have to do it in a diligent way, an aggressive way, I would say. Verse 5, Oh, that my ways be steadfast in keeping your statues. My ways, the things that I do. Lord, help it to be steadfast, he says. The word steadfast here, I like the, what this uh, word means. It means to set in place or to be established. All right. Once I know what the word of God says, because I'm reading it, then I can be firmly established or set in place to be steadfast to live out the word of God in my life. Since God is uh, paying it, or in the word uh, statues then that we see um, is, is the fifth reference to the word of God here. And it, that's the expectation that is formed around that law and decree. So not only that God is paying attention to how, how orderly our lives is as it, the word of God brings order to it, but he also has an expectation then that we're going to follow the word of God through his statues. Since God is paying attention to me and since I have clear expectations, he has clear expectations for me, I need to resolve in my life to live by the word. So the second uh, benefit to reading the Word of God, the Bible. When I read the Bible, I will experience a resolve to live by the Word. I will experience a resolve to live by the Word. 
The more I read the Bible, the more I understand that God is watching over me and knows what's best for me. Therefore, creating an inner passion or a resolve is the word we're using in my heart to pursue him for my life. You cannot uh, get excited about uh, living for the Lord if you're not reading the word on a regular basis. If I came up to you and asked if you're a passionate follower of Jesus Christ and you said yes, but then I followed it up with a question, uh, when's the last time you read your Bible? And you said a month ago then I would say, I don't know how passionate are you about the Lord, right? I'd use the illustration like this. If uh, my wife was in the first service, she was right over there. Oh, she's in the back now, so she's up there. Uh, sitting a little farther away this time. <laughs> but uh, if I would say, if somebody came up to me and says, do you love your wife? And I said, yes, I love, I'm passionate about my wife, Crystal, right? And then she, they're like, when's the last time you talked to her? I'm like, oh, about a month ago. And then they'd be like, I don't know how passionate you really are about your wife, Right? Same is true with our walk with the Lord, right? Like how much I engage or choose to engage the word of God and actually live it out shows how passionate I am really about pursuing living for him. And the more I read the word of God, the more resolve I'll have in my heart to live for God. As I, as I read the word, I, I go up to it knowing that God wants me to understand something. He wants me to believe something to be true. And then he wants me to follow that. All right. One uh, day coming home uh, from work this week, I pulled uh, into the driveway and my three kids were outside playing, um, which is pretty normal this time of year. Grateful for no snow. Um, and I got out of the car and noticed my middle child, Christiana, she was on her bike and with her helmet on and she was in our driveway and decided to go across the street to our neighbor's driveway on her bike. Usually not a big deal at all, all right? We have great neighbors, we do that kind of stuff. So. But what I did notice is that she didn't look both ways when she crossed the street, all right? And that put up my daddy radar pretty high because I'm protective, right? I'm like, Christiana, you need to come back here. And I pulled her aside and I didn't scold her or anything, but I'm just, I just sat down and was like, I just want you to like understand something, right? When you cross the road, like that's very dangerous, right? And you need a little bit both ways. And I want you to believe this, what I'm saying to be true, right? If there's a car coming and you didn't look both ways, like, you would get seriously hurt, maybe even die, right? I need you to believe this to be true, and now I need you to actually follow what I'm saying and actually obey what I'm doing, right? So I told her that, and I, I walked into the house, and I told Crystal what had happened, and, and her response is, you know how many times I've told her that already? And I'm like, yeah, we kind of went through this with our older kid, too, like the same thing over and over and over again, right? Why? Because it takes that much time to understand it, to believe it, and then to follow it. The same way is with God, with us. The more that I choose um, in my heart to seek to understand what the word of God is, to believe it to be true, and to intentionally to follow it, that takes time. It takes re repeating, going back to the word, back to the word, back to the word. Let me give you this example who has more resolve in their heart to live for the Lord in a given week? A person who reads their Bible once, right? I'm going I'm to understand it, believe it, and follow it. Or the person who does it every day, seven, seven times in a week. Believe it, understand it, follow it. 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 Believe it, understand it. Who's just going to naturally have more resolve to live by the word that week? Right? No one knows? 
<laughs> it's the seven, right? It's this, so it's, I'm not shaming the one because praise the Lord and grateful that you got the word once, all right? That's not the point of this illustration. The point is, the more I read the word of God, the more the benefit that reaps from more than God is a stir in my heart to actually understand it, to believe it to be true, and to live it out in my life. The more that you can get in the word, the better that is. I love what the passage says. He uses the word to be kept diligently. That's resolve right? He uses the word uh, to be steadfast. That's resolve, to be in the word. When I read the word regularly, it heightens my resolve to live by it. Let's go on to our, our third benefit uh, to reading the word, verse uh, 6. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. He says, then, he uses the word then, if I'm, if I'm willing to roll under the word of God and pursue him on a regular basis, then I will be able to uh, consistently live it out. I will not be put to shame. We've all experienced some kind of shame in our life, I'm sure. I have multiple times, to be uh, real. There's really two um, things that feed shame in our life. The first one is guilt, all right? Guilt about my sin brings about shame in my life. Um, and then I would say distress from my circumstances also feeds shame into my life. Like I'm just not measuring out somehow or why did this have to happen and I'm almost ashamed of it, all right? Those two things can feed shame into my life. Whether it's uh, the guilt from my sin or distress from my circumstance, sometimes that shame leaves me feeling unlovable or invaluable and if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes even expendable. Why even go on? The psalm, psalmist says, um, but then if I, if I do pursue you whole, I will not be put to shame. Why? Because fixing my eyes on your commandments. You know, our heads want to dwell on that shame, right? Want to dwell on my sin, want to dwell on my distress and my circumstances. Like when something like that's hard is happening in my life, it's the, like I can't get it out of my head. That's all I can think about. It's what defines me. It consumes me, right? And he's saying, when you roll up to the word of God, then it's going to reshape how you think. I think of Colossians 3, 2. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Have a eternal perspective over an earthly perspective. I think of Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, that says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellent, is there anything praiseworthy in these things, think on these things. That's what it means to have your eyes fixed on all of God's commandments. When you fix your eyes on God's commandments, it releases you from the feeling of shame in your life, from unworthy to worth. The word commandment, here's our sixth word in our passage today that referring to the word of God, and it means uh, it comes from one of authority in our lives. God gives us command of what we should do, but not only what we should do, who we are in him and who he is. And when we truly understand uh, who he is and what we are in Christ, then that releases us from the shame that we can feel in our lives at times. When you read the Bible, you'll have a breakthroughs in your thinking, what you think about God and what you think about yourself. When you read it, it'll remind you of who you are in Christ. So the third benefit to reading the word of God is this. When I read the Bible, I will experience a breakthrough in my self-worth. 
I'll experience a breakthrough in my self-worth. There's three keys to finding self-worth as you read the Word of God, all right? I think there's three parts that are scream at us as we read the Word of God that say, you are worthy, all right? It's not because of our own worth, it's because of the worth of Jesus Christ in us, all right? The first of all is that, uh, first where you're going to see worth is that God created you. God created you. Starting even in Genesis 1, right? You were created in the likeness of God. You were giving intellect and emotion, and you've been giving a soul that lasts for all eternity. And God wanted, out of all the creatures, no other creatures possess this, all right? That we have a soul, and God wants a relationship with us. We're the first among all creations, right? So that describes worth to us. I even think of the psalm that talks about um, that he knit us together in our mother's wombs, right? He knew us even at that stage, right? The more that we read and understand that God has created you, the more worth you'll see that God has in you, that you're valuable to him. He's created you. He is, second one is that he saved you. He saved you. All right, for those of you who are uh, believers in Christ Jesus, you've understood the gospel and you accepted it into him heart and life that he died on the cross to pay for your sins and conquered victory over death and you can have that same thing in your spiritual life. That brings value to you. All right, you're not worthless. He sent his son to die for you on the cross. That's how much he valued you. And the more that you read the word, the more you hear those loving stories, the more that you hear how much he cared for you and what he's willing to do for you to have a relationship with you, the more worth that you can see in your life. He's created you, he saved you, and he remade you. This process is ongoing. This is sanctification, right? I think of Philippians 1, 6, where it says, he who begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. We're still not there yet, right? But he's helping us along. I think of the passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where it talks about that you are a new creation in Jesus Christ. The old has passed away, but the new has come, right? He's remade, he's remade you. If, if you're a restoration project, we all are, right? And God is saying, I see the value of bringing you from here to here. I'm going to have my hands all over you, right? Fingerprints. And I want to be working in your heart and life because I think you're worthy. I think you're valuable. You're my child. I brought some money to church today here, and uh, let me pull out my wallet. Usually my wallet's empty, so this is kind of nice. Got a $100 bill here, a hundro. And uh, before you get too excited, I'm not giving this away because I need this. <laughs> but if you're on your way to church today, whether you're outside your home or just in the parking lot here, and you saw a $100 bill laying on the ground, right, and it was clear that you didn't have a clue where it came from and there's no way of figuring out who it came from, all right? You could, there's no way you could return it, all right? So you gotta have a clear conscience, all right? If you saw this lying on the ground, how many of you would pick it up and take it? I would, right? Most of you are raising your hand. Um, for the rest of you not raising your hand, no, it's a sin to lie, but like extra sinful in church to lie, so. <laughs> Um, reconsider, but okay, what if you saw that same bill, all right, you saw it on the ground, but what if the bill was like this? How many of you would still choose to pick it up? All right, and what if though you didn't see it right away and you're kind of walking around, it's kind of muddy out today and you're like, oh man, you squished it a little bit and then you're like, oh, what's that sticking in my foot? 100 
Would you still pick it up? How many of you would still pick it up? Yeah, same, basically about the same amount of people. Why? Because it's the worth, right? There's the value there. Whether it looks like this or it looks like this, the same worth and value is still there, right? So is true with us, right? Thinking about, back to the shame part, right? Thinking about our sin, thinking about our struggles or suffering circumstances that are out of our control, right? Often, maybe we feel more like this. And God's like, you know, whether you're like this or like this, you're just as valuable to me, just as worthy to me, right? He describes the worth to you. I think of uh, the example of the adulterous woman, all right, in the Gospels where the religious rulers of the day, they brought her in uh, to Jesus, right? And uh, they were trying to trap Jesus in some, th- some, some things. I don't have time to explain it all, but they came and they caught her in an act of adultery, right? And they drug her to Jesus and she was still naked. So think of the shame that she's feeling, right? Oh my goodness, taking to the Messiah, you know? And I got caught in the act. And what are they doing? They're bringing their stones, right? They're bringing the rocks because by law, she deserved to be stoned for what she, her sin. And Jesus... Uh, says, okay, well, he, without sin, throw the first stone, right? And pretty soon you hear this rocks dropping all around her, right? And one by one they're leaving because they all know they have their own sin, right? They all have their own problems. And pretty soon it was just her and Jesus left in the room. And Jesus discerns to her that no one's left. You creatures have left. There's no one here left but you and me. And then he says, you know, go and sin no more. Now think about the words that he's saying to her, the words that she's saying, right? In her moment of distress and shame, the words that he's saying, right? It's words of love, it's words of forgiveness, it's words of mercy. Now think of it this way. Those same words from God the Son, God the Father is giving us the same words through his word. Words of mercy, of love, of forgiveness, they're right there for you, just like for the adulterous woman. They're right there, just to read, to see how valuable you, you are to God the Father. Let's keep on reading for our fourth benefit of reading uh, the Bible that's found in verse 7. It says, I will praise you with an upright heart, when I'll learn of your righteous rules. You know, I don't know if you're like me, I have the tendency to think I'm more on the negative than the positive, more a little bit pessimistic than op- optimistic at times. I think we all can be like that. It's kind of our sinful nature at times. Psalmist is saying, when I take the time to know your righteous rules, all right, here's our uh, seventh re- reference to the word of God, rules, which means judgment, and you think, yeah, God is the judge, so he... Uh, and since he's righteous, he's only going to give us righteous rules to foul. He's saying, when I learn and seek to understand your righteous rules, I have nothing else to do in response but to praise you. I will praise, it says. Reality is, it's often think, easier to think of the negative in life than to think it is the positive thing. We easily can have stinky thinking is what I call it, right? Stinky thinking is, man, I stink, all right? I also think uh, you stink. (laughs) 
Um, I don't take that person. I'm talking about you guys in particular. And uh, because I and you stink, then uh, life must stink, all right? It's easier to get down that road. It just is, right? But when we roll up to the word of God and we say, Lord, give us a new mind, renew our mind, renew our thoughts, Lord, help us to see differently and think differently, right? When I do that, it replaces I stink with I am loved. It replaces, when I read the word, it replaces you stink with I can love others. When I read the word of God, it replaces life stinks with I can enjoy life and have an abundant life in him. So the fourth reason why we should read the word of God, when I read the Bible, I'll experience a reason to be grateful. When you read the word and you're consistently rolling up to it repeatedly, there's a reason to be grateful there. There's hope. There's peace. There's a Savior that loves you and has given you life abundantly. When I read about God's word, it will result in praise, just like with the psalmist. Thank you for loving me, Lord. I am grateful for the people in life, even the ones that kind of annoy me. I love that I have another day to know and to serve and to live for you. It's a reason to be grateful when I read the word. Let's look at our fifth and final reason, um, our benefit to reading the word of God. Verse 8, I will keep your statues. Do not utterly forsake me. The word statues is a repetitive one, so we already heard that word. It's the eighth time the word of God's message in our uh, passage. This one's the only duplicate. Once again, it mean, uh, means an ex expectation that's formed around a law or decree. And the psalmist is saying, like, basically, he's saying, if I keep your laws and decrees, Lord, will you promise not to forsake me? Now, it's kind of like a rhetorical question. If there's, like, a rhetorical statement, this is what it would be. Like, he already knows that the Lord won't forsake him. Like, he already knows that the Lord will be there for him, right? No matter what he does. But he's just... Psalmist is saying, like, if I really pour in, like, just remember your promise that you won't forsake me, all right? I know you're not going to, but if I hold up my end of the deal to draw near to you, that you will be there. I think of James 4.8. It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. When I commit to reading and knowing and keeping the word, God won't feel close, or he won't feel far away, he'll feel close. Maybe you feel a little bit alone or estranged from the Lord. I think it's important to realize the problem is not uh, that he, that God doesn't know me. If you're, if you're saved, he does know you. The problem is you just don't know him enough. Mark 10, 30 talks about he even knows um, how many hairs are on my head. And I kept it pretty easy for God, at least in my head. But he even knows us that intimately, that he knows the number of hairs on our head. I think of Psalms 139, and uh, the whole psalm is about how well he knows us. Right? I'm just going to read the first four verses for you. It says, O Lord, you have searched me, and you have known me. You know when I sit down. Like, he even knew that, what chair are you going to pick this morning to sit in for church? And, you know, and when I rise up, you know me. You have discerned my thoughts from afar. You're, he's able to even know what thoughts I'm thinking. 
You search out my path and my lying down, and you're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, before even I say the next very word, he already knows what I'm going to say. Behold, O Lord, you know it all together. And the, the passage goes on. So the fifth uh, benefit to reading the Word of God is when I read the Bible, I will experience a real closeness with God. He won't forsake you. You'll feel a genuine closeness to God. The key to break your loneliness because maybe you feel alone because life has just put you in a spot where you're alone. Broken relationships happen. You feel like there's distance in between you and the Lord. The best way to do that is to get in the word and you'll feel a real closeness to God again. Consistently going after it over and over and over. Looking to him and his word is what you need for a lonely heart. So let me review the, the benefits of reading the Bible with you. When I read the Bible, I'll experience a happiness rooted in holiness, a resolve to live by the word, a breakthrough in my self-worth, a reason to be grateful, and a real closeness to God. Whenever we open the word of God, and as you open the God, word of God to read it, I think the question always needs to be on your heart, on your mind. What is the manner in which the scripture applies to my life today? I want to ask uh, for a commitment this morning. And um, if you're a visitor here, don't feel like you have to commit to this because um, you're just visiting. But you're more than welcome to participate if you so choose. All right? So you're welcome to. But I'm going to tell the heads of the household. All right? So the heads of the household, if you're single, guess what? You're the head of the household. All right? If uh, you're a husband or you're a father, you're the head of the household. If you're a single parent, you're the head of the household, all right? So um, those people that are the head of their household, the God-ordained leaders of the home, who are in charge of the spiritual leadership of their home, all right? I want to challenge you in particular, okay? And if, if your head of the household is not present because they're out in Michigan <laughs> or somewhere else, you can represent them for the morning, okay? And commit for them, all right? Or if they're at work, you can commit for them, all right? But what I'm going to ask the heads of the households to do as we close, as the song is being said, um, come up and grab a rock if you commit to this. Um, like I said at the beginning, Psalms chapter 119 has 22 Hebrew letters, eight verses at a time, right? We did the first one this morning, so that leaves us left with 21. And I did my math, I divided, we got seven days till the next one, seven divided, or uh, 21 divided by seven, at least three a day. So I'm like, oh man. Most of us eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? So what we're going to do over the next meal hours, all right? So starting uh, Sunday lunch, you're going to read the very next section of Psalm 119. The reason I want you to read Psalms 19 because it's over and over again the value of the Word of God. Before you partake in your physical nourishment, I want you to read the Word of God as a family, all right? Eight verses. You're like, oh, that's a big commitment. No, I timed it takes about 30 seconds to read those eight verses, all right? <laughs> it's not a big ask. Just read the next one. And then, at, so for lunch, you'll read bath, and then the, and, uh, the next portion, gimbal, you'll, gimbal, you'll read that tonight for supper, and then you kind of go through. And the last one will be next Sunday morning at breakfast. This will be the last one that you do. And they had a handout, uh, the ushers did in the back for you, the big rocks, and kind of shows you the breakout. So as the head of the house, I know you're not always together for a meal. I get that, right? You go to work, school, all that kind of stuff, right? I'm saying you're in charge, though, to make sure that your family is reading the Word of God during those times, the same passage, right? So maybe it's putting that passage 
in their lunchbox. Maybe it's sending a text. Maybe it's whatever, FaceTiming. You choose, you figure it out um, and lead your family in that way. So um, this is not meant to replace your devotion time, all right? This is simply just to open up the Bible, get more excited about the Word of God. Hopefully that leads into more reading of the Word of God after the seven weeks. Like, I want to be, be more passionate about believe, or understanding and believing and following it, so I'm going to do that even after this, right? That's what we're trying to stir up in you. Even at the meal table, this isn't meant to be like you read the passage and then you exegete the passage for 30 minutes before you eat, all right? That will exasperate your kids. That will not go well in our household, all right? All right, just read the passage, pray, eat the food. If you want a conversation after that, discussion, great. If not, that's totally fine too. Low-level ask, okay? So if you commit to that as the song's being played, um, if you're willing to do that as the heads of the households, I want you to come down and grab a rock, put that rock somewhere where you're going to remember. It's going to be your reminder thing, like you're sticking out, like, hey, I'm in charge of leading the family and reading the Bible this week through Psalms 119 to get them excited about it, all right? If that's you, then you can come up and grab a rock as they, pray, uh, as they play. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just uh, pray. Uh, this is a big rock. This is important. This is a priority. You matter. And what your word has to say for my ears to hear and my heart to respond matters. I want it to matter in my house too. So help us to pick up this rock and not drop the rock this week. Help us to be consistent and faithful, steadfast. Do it diligently. Go after your word and stir in a passion, a greater resolve. We need your word, Lord. We need to listen to it. Thank you for your love letter to us through this word. We just pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.